Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. And I've heard people say, if we want to see prison doors burst open, we just have to be worshipping long enough. No, you could go horse, but it's no guarantee that you will have magic power to break open chains and prison doors and all the rest of it. Do not worship God because He's going to break through your circumstances. Worship God despite your circumstances. There are a few big names in the Bible. One of the New Testament greats is the Apostle Paul. His life was transformed by an encounter with Jesus and he became one of Christianity's greatest advocates. But his life was no picnic. Tonight, Dr. Corbett looks at Paul's letter to the Philippian church, written while he was still imprisoned for his faith. Let's join Dr. Corbett for Paul's prison epistle, part one. Right, we're in Philippians and we're going to introduce Philippians tonight and I, I hope that uh, you draw some encouragement as the Philippians were indeed meant to draw encouragement from this epistle from the Apostle Paul. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray, open our hearts. As we look into your words, may your word look into us. Father, as we see a transformed people, may we be a transformed people. And we ask, Lord, for this to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians is one of the few, if not the only, letters, epistles that Paul wrote where he's not addressing a problem. There's no major doctrinal problem. There's no major split happening. In fact, it was an occasion of tremendous joy for the apostle. And we're going to have a look at this. While you've got your finger in Philippians, just venture over to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 16 how the church at Philippi, which is in Macedonia. If you've got a, a Bible map in the back of your Bible, you'll see that it's kind of across the Aegean Sea. And Paul, who was in Troas, which is part of Turkey, made his way across there. And we're going to find out how he got there because this was not his original intention. So from this, we're going to see some tremendous, I think, tremendous lessons on how the Holy Spirit doesn't always lead us he sometimes stops us and that stopping actually becomes his leading and we'll see that in a moment and it's a beautiful for me it's just a beautiful picture that there are times when the Holy Spirit says stop and the Holy Spirit says no when you want him to say yes and you want him to say go and so as we look in in Acts we're going to pick it up uh, from verse 6 of uh, Acts chapter 16 and it says this, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So that's Turkey, the, the region of Turkey. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, does that strike you as strange? I mean, the Holy Spirit is saying, do not preach here. And you would think that it was in the Holy Spirit's interest that he did preach there. But there is a strong sense that time was short. And time was short because it is my conviction, based on the word of God, that God was orchestrating for every Jew from the generation that was around the cross of Christ, so 30 AD or so, that every Jew 
in that generation would have an opportunity to receive the gospel. I have, I believe, some biblical reasons why I think that was indeed the case. We read in Colossians, written after Philippians, that Paul could say in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Thanks be to God that this gospel has now been preached in all the world, or the whole world. And you've got to think, if you haven't heard me mention this before, the biblical writers would use language like that, like the whole world. And do you think Paul or any of the other 12 apostles preached in Tasmania? No, because that wasn't their world. Their world was the Mediterranean. That was their world. So around the Mediterranean, that was their world. And Paul could say that by 61 or so AD, this gospel had been taken to all the known world, the world that they knew. He could say in Colossians 1.23, I thank God, he says, this gospel has now been preached to every creature under heaven, which is an expression meaning Jews or God's people. And so Paul could say, we have taken the gospel to every Jew in the empire in this generation. I think there's a profound point there and we might make that point as we go through. But here we have Paul writing to the Philippians. We're here picking up how he came to be in Philippi. He's in Turkey. Let's read on. It says, and when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, Spirit of Jesus, meaning the Holy Spirit did not allow them. So this is what I mean when sometimes we're looking for direction. And I think Paul, of all people, knew how to be led by the Spirit. And what he's getting is, stop. No, don't go any further. Okay, I'll go this way. No, no, don't go there either. So sometimes God's no is God's direction, as we'll see in a moment. And it says in verse 8, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, the region today that we would know as Greece, was standing there urging him and saying, note these words, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now there's a couple of theories about this. One is that the man that Paul saw was Luke. That's one of the theories. And it's an interesting theory because after this and after Paul goes to uh, Philippi, in, which is a part of Macedonia, we pick up in the book of Acts what we call the we sections. So up until this point, it's Paul went here, Paul went there, Paul did this, Paul did that. After this, you're going to notice the text changes to we went here, we went there, we did this. So it's an interesting theory. It could be. So Luke was definitely, we know he was a Gentile, we know he wasn't a Jew, so it, it, it has some, this theory has some merit to it. Either way, we're not told who the man was, and it goes on in verse 10, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you notice what's happened there? It's not like he got a word from God. Please don't misunderstand me. Don't think Paul's not spiritual. Don't think he's not someone who can hear from God. He clearly can. But here, circumstances, he's had a vision and he's shared that vision and it says that we 
sought to go into Macedonia. And so we have Paul who is concluding certain things. Now I've heard people say that when God speaks there's no doubt and I, I can understand that. But sometimes there's what we might call leading, prompting and you get the impression this is what God wants you to do. You ever had that? Am I the only one? <laughs> you ever had that and got in trouble? Or am I the only one? Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neopolis and from there to, see the name? Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So the point there is that it was Jewish custom that if there was not a synagogue in a town, they had it as a custom that they would go to the river. It came from their time in Babylon. By the rivers we sat down. We read in what is it, Psalm 137 or something. So they made it a habit that whenever they went to a city that didn't have a synagogue, they would go to the river. And so Paul, that's why it says, we suppose that there would be some Jews by the river. And they happen to be all women. So again, there's an interesting thing happening here that all through Acts, a couple of things are mentioned and emphasised. And one of them is women. One of them is women. All through Acts, we see that whenever the gospel penetrates an area, it emphasises that women received it. And here in Philippi, we're going to see that it's more than women receiving it, it's women becoming leaders in the church. And we're going to see this epistle addressed to the Philippians addresses women. So if you're a man and you've got real problems with women in ministry, you're going to have a problem with this. So it says down to verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. Now that's an expression meaning she was a Gentile and she had become a proselyte, someone who had taken the first step to becoming a convert to Judaism, which is a worshipper of God, then a God-fearer, and then you could become a Jew. That was a part of the process. And it says, and I love this verse, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Do you ever pray that God might open people's heart to the gospel? I've heard people say, God can do anything but change a human heart. You have to do that. And I go, well, what does this say? So God can do it. So I'm encouraged to pray that God will open people's hearts. I'm hoping that we do pray that, that God will open the hearts of people in our area, people we're connected to, people that we possibly have some input or influence into. And here's, there's biblical grounds for it. So the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Verse 15. And she was, and after she was baptised and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination 
and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl, to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. A couple of points just to notice here. Did he have a conversation with the demon? Did he need to know the demon's name? (laughs) Did he need to know what the demon was a demon of? Well, that was pretty obvious. It was a spirit of divination. It says it. So there wasn't any need for a conversation. And I remember growing up as a teenage boy in a Pentecostal church, and some of you are old enough, or you may have heard this kind of stuff as well, where I heard people say, in order to cast demons out, you've got to know the demon's name, you've got to know what it's a demon of, then you've got to find it, while you've got its attention, find out if there are any other demons in the area and get it to tell you. And it always struck me as a, as a young teenage boy, let me get this right, these demons are liars. And it's going to tell you what? And it just struck me as really odd. And then it struck me that in the New Testament, there's not one example of anyone but God having a conversation with a demon. Not anyone but God. And I put into that category, Jesus in the flesh. And whenever demons began to engage Christ in conversation, he shut them down very quickly. So there's something interesting about this. Jude says that when the devil contested the body of Moses with the angel Michael, Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. The archangel of heaven wouldn't even enter into conversation with him. So next time someone tells you, you tell the devil this and you tell the devil that, I would suggest that you speak more to God in prayer than the devil. Just a thought. You might want to think about that one. All right, so so Paul was annoyed. And this is what she's saying. The slave girl had a spirit of divination and brought her own as much gain by fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation and this she kept doing for many days Paul having become greatly annoyed turned to the spirit and said as we read before I command you in the name of Jesus Christ come out of her and it came out that very hour (laughs) which is a, a metaphor an expression of speech saying it came out it came out And no negotiating, not we're going to wait here for 12 hours until it comes out, it came out. That's the power of the name of Jesus. But it says, verse 19, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison which is the one further deeper in from the outer prison, I'm guessing, and fastened their feet in stocks. So if you've ever seen stocks, these are bits of wood. So the wood where it's got the slots, half a hole, 
for your feet and the other one comes down and makes the hole and your feet are in there and you're locked in, you're locked in. So their feet are in stocks and presumably their hands are in manacles. That's the assumption. It could also be one of those, if you've ever seen these, feet and hands in stocks as well. So this is, I'm guessing, not comfortable. I want you to see this. This is not a comfortable experience. It's the inner prison. It's probably damp. It's probably cold. It's, it's where they're confined in space. This is not good. This is not comfortable. This is what I would consider to be horrible. And here we have Paul. And I want you to notice what they do. And Ross drew on this point just a moment ago that we talk about the worship team. But we are the worship team. That's a great point, isn't it? We are the worship team. On a Sunday, we're the worship team. And notice what Paul was doing in verse 25. And the next time things seem to be not going your way, remember this principle. Uh, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What would you be doing at midnight if you're in the inner prison? In manacles, in a wet, damp, cold, bluestone block prison. (laughs) How great is our God. Come on, all you prisoners, sing with me. (laughs) Come on. And you think, oh, Andrew, you're exaggerating. But notice this. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations, it says, of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Can I just point out that only ever happened once. And I've heard people say, if we want to see prison doors burst open, we just have to be worshipping long enough. No, you could go horse. But it's no guarantee that you will have magic power to break open chains and prison doors and all the rest of it do not worship God because he's going to break through your circumstances worship God despite your circumstances I do not think for a second Paul and Silas were worshiping God so that the prison doors would burst open so I just think this is a powerful point and you are going to go to Kurong tomorrow if you do and you'll find dozens and dozens of books that tell you exactly the opposite to what I've just told you but I think we should worship God not for anything not for anything we can get out of it but because he deserves it and I think what Paul's doing and for me this is worship worship is despite our circumstances despite what we think God should be doing (laughs) we worship God That's worship. It comes from the heart first. So I wanted to paint that picture that he was in manacles. His feet were in stocks. And he's at midnight. He's worshipping God probably because he couldn't sleep. (laughs) As it would be very, very uncomfortable. All right. So it says, And everyone's bonds were unfastened. End of verse 26. So when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because if he didn't do it, the Roman authorities would do it, and they don't do it so cleanly. He faced the options. Either I take my life and I do it quickly, or I pay the price, and that could be crucifixion which is a very slow, painful death. Uh, around the time of Christ, there was some, there was not long before that, there were some 6,000 people crucified on the way into Jerusalem. 
along just marking the road the stench the, the this is not a pleasant thing anyway so these guys had this sort of front and center of their minds and so this is what he was about to do and so we read in verse 28 because he assumed that all the prisoners had just escaped but Paul cried with a loud voice do not harm yourself for we are all here verse 29 and the jailer called for lights that's how inner this prison was and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas because now these you get the picture the the stocks have burst off you, you would think this is supernatural. This doesn't happen. That thing was padlocked. It's burst off. And that's why the jailer's response was to fall down at the feet of these guys thinking, are, are you gods? What is this? And so we, we read this amazing encounter that happened between them. And it says in verse 30, Then he brought them out and said, Sirs. What must I do to be saved? Now, I, I used to think this is the jailer asking, how can I avoid death from Rome? But there's no need to do that now because that, he hasn't lost any prisoners, which would have been death. I suspect that just as the slave girl had heard Paul preaching and was mocking him, this jailer probably heard him preaching as well and probably heard him say, there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. Jesus died so that you can be saved. I, I think he might have heard something like that. Otherwise, this question really doesn't make any sense. So he's asking, how can I be saved? You guys have got something that I've never seen in my life. How can I receive the message that you've got? Interesting response from Paul. He simply says this, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. And this is not some kind of if the parents believe the children will be saved deal. This is you put your faith and trust in him. If he is received by your household, they'll be saved too. You can have everyone in your household saved. So this is, please don't think this is some kind of, you know, if the parents are saved, the children are saved. Uh, automatically deal verse 32 and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house that's how I can surmise that that's what he was referring to because they preached to the household and it goes on and they took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once he and all his family what an amazing story then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God so you got the impression who's in this church already you've got a Roman jailer you've got his household you've probably you've at least got two houses to have your unlike Kim who the other week faced a home group that had no home these guys had two homes to choose from they had Lydia's home she was a seller of purple which was exquisite fabric which meant she was wealthy and they now had the jailer's home so something's happening here God is doing something and when it was day it says verse 35 the magistrates sent the police saying let those men go and the jailer reported these words to Paul saying 
the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, which you're not allowed to beat a Roman citizen, by the way. In fact, those who beat a Roman citizen are uh, subject to death, if they do. Just hold that thought while you see their response in a minute. So it goes on, and they have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? Oh no, says Paul. <laughs> Remember how I said this morning there was a touch of unsanctified arrogance that he brought into his salvation? It, here it is. He goes on, he says, let them now come down themselves and take us out. So the jailer has brought them home and then put them back in prison. This is a weird situation, isn't it? But here they are, and the police reported these words to the magistrates who were then afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens because now they face death if Paul chose to report them. So they came and apologised to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And that little they had seen the brothers gives us another clue. There were people in Philippi who turned to Christ. So now you've got Lydia, you've got the, the women by the river, you've got the jailer and his household, his family, and, and suddenly now you've got brothers, you've got people who have responded to the gospel. So suddenly this church has sprung up in a matter of weeks. And Paul does something very interesting. He leaves. He leaves Philippi. We're not told whether he left someone there at this point. We might surmise that he, he may have. But now I want you to, let's, if you had your thumb or your finger in Philippians chapter 1, come with me now to Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. And I want to give you the story that, that was Acts 16. Acts 17 he goes to Athens and there's some encounters with more Greek people and and the gospel continues to advance. We go into Acts chapter 18 and he's in Corinth. We go into Acts chapter 19 and he's got it in his heart to go back to Jerusalem and give them a, an offering because there's a, a famine in the land. And we read about that in Acts 11, uh, 28 where Agabus the prophet stood and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, a famine is coming on the land. And they believed the prophet and Dr. Luke tells us in the last part of verse 28, and... The famine occurred during the reign of Caesar Claudius. So we know that what Agabus prophesied happened. There was a famine in the land and people in Jerusalem were struggling for food. So Paul said, let's take up an offering so they can buy it in. And presumably they'd buy it in from somewhere like Egypt or somewhere like that, which is what they would have probably done. So Paul wants to go back. This is Acts 19. He drops into the port near Ephesus. Ephesus was a little bit inland. He asks to see the elders in Acts chapter 20. They come and he says to them, this will be the last time you ever see me. And this guy Agabus turns up. Whenever Agabus turns up, you want to take note because this was a weird guy. And Agabus is one of the few men identified in the book of Acts as a prophet. And 
not just someone identified as a prophet, but someone who prophesies the future, like one of those sort of prophets. And Agabus, as Paul is, is addressing the situation there, Agabus takes off his belt and he ties it around Paul's hands. Prophets can be really weird at times. And he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how they will lead you. This is how you'll, you'll go. And Paul, very interestingly, says, I know. Everywhere I go, the Spirit of God is telling me I'm on my way to die. If I could paraphrase Paul. So we go into Acts chapter 22. He's imprisoned again. And, and then we find that as we come into Acts 24, he appeals to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He can do that. He does that just as he was about to be released. But now if he appeals to Caesar, Rome has to pay for his voyage to Rome. So Paul is now on his way to Rome. And that's Acts chapter 26. And then we come into Acts chapter 28 and it says this. Paul was put under house arrest and... That's it. That's how it's, it almost stops with an and. It stops. And we, 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 how, what happened? And this is what we know happened and I'll share a little bit about this in the other series that Paul was moved to the palace of Caesar and he was put under Praetorian guard and he stood before Caesar and we we see in Acts chapter 9 that Ananias is told go and tell Paul he'll stand before kings that's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Paul's Prison Epistle Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, Paul treasured the prayers of the Philippians not for a change in his circumstances, but that Christ might be glorified and the gospel advanced. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is, of course, pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.